Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by Book Riot Insiders, which, if you haven't tried it out yet, now is your time. It's our resource specially designed for our fellow book nerds, that's you, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are different levels available so you can decide which perks you want, from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasting giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got a new release index curated by resident Velasa reader Liberty Hardy from all the books, so you can see the most exciting new books coming in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 61, and we're recording on August 23rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, as promised, we are talking about our Blade Trilogy rewatch. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much from rewatching those Blade movies. Yeah, I learned that I had only ever seen the first one. <laughs> I learned that I had never somehow, I had managed to skip the second one. So mm. I don't know, maybe we read so much about them. We just, I don't right. know. Right, I just feel like, anyway, yeah. well, I'm super excited to talk about them as well. I have I have so many thoughts. <laughs> Me too. So we'll definitely get to that. But before we do, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is a Little Brown and Company bringing us Circe by Madeline Miller, which many of you probably know about and read and loved as much as I did. So in the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born. But Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father, nor viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power. The power of witchcraft, which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. In this number one best-selling follow-up to The Song of Achilles, novelist Madeline Miller has created an epic story of family rivalry, palace intrigue, love and loss, as well as a celebration of indomitable female strength in a man's world. Cersei debuted at number one on the New York Times hardcover fiction list in April uh, last year, and it's at the top of everyone's must-read list. It was all over the place, all over the internet, and all over Instagram. I love the book so much. It was one of my favorites uh, when it came out, and it's still on my shelf as a beloved favorite. So <laughs> definitely check out Cersei by Madeline Miller, and thank you to Little Brown and Company for sponsoring today's show. Oh, nice. Awesome. All right, let's see. Um, so I think we should kick it off by talking about the Hugo Award winners. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's huge news. Really mm -hmm. exciting. They were announced very recently at the World Science Fiction Convention in Dublin, Ireland, which I wish I was at because I heard it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... The best novel winner was Mary Robinette Cowell for The Calculating Stars, which I have been hearing about. I've 
I feel like for like 16 years. Like I, I, I just, people cannot shut up about this book. And one day I will, I will read it. I swear. Um, but this is the cool thing. So it's about lady astronauts. It's a feminist alternate history. And Cole was presented the award by actual astronaut Jeanette Epps. Uh, that is just the most amazing thing in the world. Like, I I don't know how we're all still alive that that thing happened. That's so cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was the best novel. Best novella went to Artificial Condition by Martha Wells, which is, you know, the, in the Murderbot series, which we obviously love. And our beloved Zen Cho won for best novelette. Yay! Have you read this one? I haven't. And when I saw it, it was a reminder to pick it up because I knew it was out there, but it's one of those books, of course, that's on my TBR. But anything by Zen Cho is on my TBR. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. wait to pick it up. This was a great reminder to do that. Yeah, it's called If at First You Don't Succeed, Try, Try Again. And then Alex Harrow won A Witch's Guide to Escape. And if I'm correct is that the author of the Ten Thousand doors of january that everybody's been going nuts for yes yes yeah that, that is her and uh i think last time we were talking about this it we were talking about how buzzy that book is and mm-hmm. so and i didn't know about i knew she wrote some short stories but i was just jazzed by the name of this one yes so good <laughs> i have so to good. basically read everything on the winner's list because mm-hmm, <laughs> as mm-hmm. usual Oh, yeah. And Best Series went to Wayfarers by Becky Chambers. No surprises there. (laughs) (laughs) And then Monstrous by Marjorie Liu, Volume 3, won for Best Graphic Story. You must have been so excited to see that. I was so excited about it. This this is giving me chills. And then the next one, Best Young Adult Book, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, which was another one of my favorites. Definitely a YA favorite when it came out and was hugely mm-hmm. popular and successful. And also, I think the film rights were purchased for it. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing that movie when it comes out. Yeah. And I there's a bunch of other awards and you should check out the full list. Um, but the other thing I want to call out is that Jeanette Ng won the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer. And apparently her speech was actual fire. <gasps> and I'm going to drop a link to it in the show notes. I have it open in a tab on my desk to read, but I haven't gotten to it yet. But uh, in Alex's Swords and Spaceships newsletter, they did like a roundup of all of the speeches from the Hugos. And this one was the first one called out. And so I cannot wait to read it. Yeah, I feel like there's always one person who shows up with fire and Mm -hmm. with some words to share. So I have to check that out. I love getting the chills from these awards speeches. Um, Same. Yeah. And this whole list is just so great. I feel like there's so much to celebrate here. So I was really excited to see all of the award winners. Congratulations to everyone we wish we could be there to see you collect <laughs> your well-deserved awards and also to enjoy the scenery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I think I want to talk because this is big news to me as a Witchy Poo fan. <laughs> I saw this news about the Practical Magic prequel and it was like the fastest click ever. So the Practical Magic prequel is coming to HBO Max. It's a pilot for Rules of Magic. 
I feel like I'm saying everything was my favorite, but I loved that book so much, Rules of Magic, um, which is the story that takes place before Practical Magic, and it's set in 1960s New York City. It's very, as you might imagine from an Alice Hoffman novel, it's very atmospheric. It has great intrigue, really great characters. It follows three siblings, Franny, Jet, and Vincent Owens. I've talked about this book on the show before. Um, but it was just such a fantastic book and so magical. So we don't know exactly when this is coming out, but the pilot has been picked up for HBO Max. And I believe it's a 10 series, oh, 10 script order. And Jessica Jones creator Melissa Rosenberg is going to write and executive produce um, and Dana Barada will also write and re- executive produce. There's also go- ha- Alice Hoffman. I can't use my words today. I'm so excited about this. Alice Hoffman <laughs> is also going to be executive producing. I always look to see if like how involved the author is going to be in adaptations. So it was good to see her name on this list. And you can bet I'm going to be watching this and looking for news about casting. So definitely keep an eye out for more news about the rules of magic. I don't know if they're going to call it rules of magic, but uh, for the prequel series. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Did are you are you excited about this news? Is this I a- mean to my dismay, I still haven't read Rules of Magic. That's okay. <laughs> Despite having read reread Practical Magic last year specifically in order to read the prequel, and then I didn't because life. Yes. Uh, and so, but I I loved that movie, even though it was different from the book, and I loved that book. And Alice Hoffman just has such a specific sort of dark whimsy about her Mm -hmm. that if they capture that in the show i'm sure i will like it yeah and i hope the soundtrack is as good as the one for oh my gosh showing myself as a cheesy music listener but (laughs) (laughs) i can't tell you how many times i listen to the practical magic soundtrack don't i'm here for that confession (laughs) (laughs) so there's your witchy news for today excellent excellent well in other tv adaptation news the wheel of time casting has moved forward and i am on record as having been a little dismayed about rosamund pike being selected for moiraine because i thought that that meant that they were going to do what I didn't want them to do and just cast, like, entirely white, entirely predictably. And they have not, to my absolute glee, (laughs) they announced the five main younger characters from the book very recently, and three of them are people of color. So exciting. Uh, So Joshua... Joshua? Is that a typo? Is it Joshua? Anyway, Stradowski... Uh, I'm reading this from Variety, for the record, has been cast as Randall Thor. And he is like your predictable, like, you know, white, blue-eyed, chiseled, cheekboned, Mm -hmm. etc. sort of character. And then Marcus Rutherford, who I was not previously aware of, but I now have to go look up, has been cast as Perrin, and he is Black. And Nynaeve is also going to be played by a Black actress named Zoe Robbins. Super exciting. And then Madeline Madden is playing Egwene Alvere, a personal favorite character, and she is Indigenous. 
Uh, I believe she's Australian. And so, and then there's a Matt Coffin casting um, Barney Harris, who I don't know, but who looks pretty well fit for that part. He's a little sprightly looking. Mm -hmm. So I am just, just delighted. Like, I'm so surprised and delighted by this. Yeah, it's nice when it turns out that people are being thoughtful about representation because so often it proves not true yeah well and you know i think i'm i'm sure the twitter verse has been all over this in both good and bad ways but i do want to point out that if you go back and look at the descriptions of characters in the books there are like the two rivers people which is where most of these characters are from are referred to as darker and like egwene's brown skin is noted more than once in the books and so to anybody who's like that's wrong it's like (laughs) you are wrong you are literally wrong (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, there's not super specific descriptions given, but it is well within character verse. Like, it's well within canon to do these castings. And even if it wasn't, like, who cares? But this is just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And just so you know, I was looking this up while you were talking. It is Joshua, so... That it is Joshua, my bad. Yeah, that's an I interesting I was, name. <laughs> I was like, that must be a typo, but that's that's right. Correct. So awesome. Yeah, I and you know, so the worm in the apple here is that this is at Amazon. So who are personally like that's calling right. me out, uh, you know, because I was am not inclined to give them any money, but mm. ooh, <laughs> this is a tough one to to not watch, I tell you what. I know. Well, you can still celebrate the news anyway. Yes. Yes. I mean, we'll see what happens when it actually comes out, but I'm pretty stoked about this casting. Well, that's super fantastic. Um, And then, well, so I guess we can, after you talk about our next sponsor, we're actually going to get into our Blade conversations. Yes! I can't wait. (laughs) Okay, but first, our sponsor, which is Astro Nuts by John Sheska and Steven Weinberg, sponsored by Chronicle Books. I am personally delighted to be reading this ad because way back in the day when I was a bookseller in Utah, I got to be part of a John Sheska tour, which is an experience. He is a hoot. Kids love him, and I've never seen anything quite like that band's performance in a room full of elementary school children. It was amazing. He's hilarious. And this sounds like so much fun. It is, let me read you the synopsis, the earth is in serious trouble. Humans have finally gone too far and wrecked her climate with too much carbon. Fortunately, NASA not NASA, that's N-N-A-S-A, has prepared a secret program of four super-powered animal astronauts. Their mission to find a perfect Goldilocks planet for humans to escape to. Too bad they're a bit glitchy and more astro-nuts than astronauts. <laughs> oh, I'm so delighted. Uh, so there's an alpha wolf, smart hawk, laser shark, and stink bug are the four super-powered animals who are are traveling through space to find a new planet. And all of the science incorporated in this crazy story is actually true. And there are full-color illustrations. And Steven Weinberg, who is the illustrator, apparently sourced art from the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Very interesting. Um, I've seen Weinberg's art. It's great also. He has done a couple graphic novels, if I remember correctly, that I really enjoyed. And this is on sale September 10th and available now for pre-order. So if you are an adult who enjoys fun stories 
or you have kids in your life who need this book, as I'm sure pretty much we all do, you should definitely check it out. Again, that is Astro Nuts by John Sheska and Steven <laughs> Weinberg. So much fun. I love that so much. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were just talking about animal narrators, too. It fits in perfectly with our previous uh, episodes. I know. Is this a thing now? We even had a sponsor last time that was yeah. also an animal narrator. It must be It's like just in the trending. air, I guess. It is. We all love animals. <laughs> Onward to Blade. And yes. I guess we should preface this by talking about why this even started up. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about news last time about how there's going to be a new Blade story coming out starring Mahershala Ali. And that was very exciting. But also, this was news, by the way, announced at San Diego Comic Con. And there isn't that much more news about it. Uh, but it was really exciting and it made us remember all of the other, like the actual Blade movies that have come out that we may or may not have watched all of. (laughs) So we both uh, underwent a complete rewatch. I basically watched them all in the span of two days. Same, Uh, same. Yeah, which isn't something I normally do with series, like, you know, with book series, Mm -hmm. maybe it's a little different, but with movies, I generally tend not to rewatch at all. So this overall was just like a fascinating process for me. I don't know if you had the same experience. Yeah. Well, like I was saying at the top, it was really interesting to me that I had not actually seen either of the next two Mm because I could have sworn I saw at least two. I knew I had seen the first one, but I really thought I had seen more than just one. So this was not a rewatch for me except for number one. It was just a straight up watch. And I have this little note in my phone that's full of notes about it. (laughs) So, you know, fair warning. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I've never watched... I don't know that I've... Well, that's not true. I take it back. We did a Fast and Furious rewatch on New Year's Day a few years ago that included all of the movies that were out up until then, and that was six, if I recall correctly. So we literally spent an entire day just straight up watching Fast and Furious movies. So that... This is (laughs) the closest I've come to that experience. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, and I was, so I, then I, of course, fell down some internet rabbit holes as I was rewatching, and I found this piece, uh, that we'll link to in the show notes. Apparently, Wesley Snipes is on board with the new casting, which I like hearing because there's some interesting thoughts about Wesley Snipes as Blade that we'll get to later in the yeah. show um, that would perhaps have implied that he might not be down, but he is totally down. Uh, he gave a statement that said that um, this is an all good and much peace to the MCU crew, always a fan. He's praised Mahershala Ali's acting. So that was nice to see. I'm, I was I was happy to see that. Yeah, that was really nice news. I feel like mm-hmm. there could be some you know, especially since he did express some interest in returning, mm-hmm. um, that there could have been some, you know, unpleasantness or whatever. But it's great to see everybody supporting everybody. And this is yes. sounding like a reboot. So it makes sense that they would get another actor. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see what Mahershala Ali does with the role. Oh, me too. Because, you know, Wesley Snipes really was iconic as that character. Like the way, and I, I felt like this was so true, rewatching them so close together, like seeing him embody that character. Like he really just does. He is Blade throughout all three of them. 
Yeah, and it sounds like that was a very point. There's a very pointed yeah. reason <laughs> that he was uh, very much in character the entire time. Everybody yeah, has which must their have. process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how do you do method with like a half vampire vampire slayer? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he found a way. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Do you want to get into the first one? Well, first, I just want to call out the fact that I don't know if y'all know this, but Wesley Snipes wrote a novel. Oh, yeah. And it came out two years ago, and it is called Talon. And I picked it up because I was so curious. I was like, what is this going to be? Oh, it's called Talon of God. Excuse me. The main character is called Talon. Um, and it is it is, it is, is sort of Blade. It's basically Blade, except much churchier. <laughs> and I didn't end up finishing it because it just got too churchy for me. But it was very much like if you are at all curious and you want to see like an angels versus demons story as told by Wesley Snipes, you can pick that up. That exists for you to pick up. But it would just, when I was reading it, I was thinking like, clearly he has so much attachment to this character and to this sort of setup. Like that was just very interesting to me how much, like it's not just some role he did, right? Like he clearly was heavily invested in the character, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great when it affects you so much, like whatever it is, whether it's a role or something, an experience that you have to write a book that kind of follows that same path. Mm -hmm. And when I saw this news, when you when you put it in our notes, I was completely taken by surprise because I was completely clueless that Wesley Snipes had written a book and I knew nothing about it. So I just read this with pure fascination. And I was wondering, <laughs> I didn't realize you had actually started to read it. And I was wondering how it actually read because it's kind of hard to tell from this actual post, but it is. And I'm sure there was like a co-writer involved, although there's not one listed. And it was fine. Like the plot moved along. I liked the characters well enough. I just have a very particular relationship to religion. And yeah. even in the name of fantasy, like when things get too churchy, like Talon, which I'm, we're linking to a review from USA Today, and Talon basically only speaks in gospel quotes. Like he, <laughs> like he's always quoting the Bible. And I was just like, mm, this is too much for me. This is just too much for me. So yeah. That was the part where I was like, well, I I appreciate that this is out there, but I'm, I'm probably yeah. going to get it. <laughs> it's a very specific kind of experience, is what I will say. But I'm sure there are readers out there who would be really interested in reading it and picking it up. And who have 100%. It. Yeah. 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 All you... right. So oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say if you wanted to start talking about Blade, because yes. I know we have so much to talk about. I know. <laughs> but tell me your thoughts. Tell me your thoughts about Blade the first. I, I was, the whole time I was watching this, I was trying to figure out, like, what's going to be my favorite. And I usually do not like, I usually enjoy the first in any sort of, like, series, especially if it's, like, horror or anything horror adjacent. I tend to like the cheesiest one mm. of the picks. So I absolutely thought I would like the third one the best. Uh, because that was also the one I remembered the most because uh, I think the last time I watched it was only a few years ago. But I love, like, Blade, the first Blade has definitely taken the top spot in my mm -hmm. mind. Um, I just thought that, and I think that it feels like kind of more straightforward telling of the story. 
Um, and I just loved that the main female character, Karen, the starring woman played by Nabouche Wright, had such a great role in this that I was just fascinated to see where her role would take her throughout this movie. Because there are some tropey ways horror movies and vampire movies have dealt with women. And Mm -hmm. I thought that the way they treated her role was just fantastic. First of all, she's a scientist um, or doctor. And she is super smart. She does I don't know if we're allowed to give away spoilers about this. I was just going to say, I think we should just tell everybody there are going to be spoilers. Like, we're going to spoil stuff. Okay. It's fine. These movies are like 15 years old or more at this point. Yeah. But I'm just letting you know, this is a spoiler right now. Um, She does not die in this movie. And I seriously thought she would because that's how those roles are treated, especially roles with women. Um... And when there's going to be a whole series, that just seems to happen all the time. So I was waiting to see what would happen because I couldn't remember. And I just loved her character specifically and being reintroduced to Blade freshly. And the whole story was actually really compelling. Mm -hmm. So I was blown away. I, I really enjoyed it. And this one was made in, it was, uh, it came out in 1998. So I mean, it's not that old, but I mean, I was in high school, so it feels like a million years ago. (laughs) So I kind of expected like not great things on a lot of levels, but I was pleasantly surprised. What do you think? Yeah, I had, I mean, I, I was, I was pretty sure I remembered loving it. And so I was just like, oh, will I still love it? Um, And I did. I still loved it. Although I have some problems that I will get into in a minute. But, oh, it's just iconic. And that, like, I love that they found a balance between the cheese ball. Like, there's this, like, really elaborate fist pump at, like, minute, like, 9.50 or something. (laughs) It was just like, it's like, freeze frame, fist pump. Awesome. Um, And that cracked me up. But then it also, like, it's a movie that knows what it is. And it doesn't lean so far into the absurdity that it, like, cancels out the earnestness of the story, which I super appreciated and yes karen was an amazing character and boucher was amazing i was so bummed at the end of that movie because i knew that she didn't come back i was like i would remember she was in the other ones and she wasn't and i was just like oh what a missed opportunity like she that relationship was so interesting her role was so interesting they could have done so much with her And um, I was just so bummed after watching it that she just she did not get to come back. And and I am I'm annoyed about that because she was an amazing character. And uh, and yeah, and I I did. It just felt like it just felt iconic. That movie felt iconic from start to finish. And I really loved everything about it. And I think I have thoughts on why this doesn't work as well as an ensemble sort of story for later. Uh, but I think that what I loved most about it sort of in that is that it does focus, like you said, on Blade and his story in a way that just feels so 
I don't know, organic and natural. Like it just unfolded yeah. really beautifully. And these are like very high words of praise to talk about, like in kind of a cheesy movie, but it really uh, did. It felt just so perfectly done. And I really, I mean, I, like, okay, so I do have problems. So let's talk okay. about some problems. Yeah. First of all, if vampires could use sunscreen, the world would be a very different place. That is, I like, and I felt like over the course of the whole, the three movies as a whole, they were confused about what vampires were and how they worked and kept changing yeah. their minds. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> but like sunscreen, are you kidding me? Like, that's ridiculous. Um, I also was not a fan of the fat phobia in the first one. Uh, yeah. I think that I'm just never a fan of that. And Pearl's character is just there to be gross and I just that just makes me feel insane so that was a bad did not love that yeah that was not good also also I hate this trope the at the okay spoiler time at the end when Blade is drinking Karen's blood I really hate how they made that they filmed it as if it was like a sex scene and it's so like he like she offers initially but then she's telling him to stop and he's not stopping and like that should not you should not film that as sexy, y'all. Like, don't do it. Just don't. I totally agree. That was really uncomfortable watching yeah. that whole scene. I did not love. I definitely, in my mind, was like, this is not, this would not, I hope this would not play nowadays. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. one could only hope. But, um, okay, but to end on an up note on our first Blade discussion, I came up with an alternate title that I'm really proud of. Are you, are you ready? <laughs> I think I'm ready. <laughs> okay. The alternate title for Blade should be How I Bit Your Mother. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> Because it is the whole story. That is the entire premise. It's the whole story. That's the whole premise. How I bit your mother. Like, come on. It's too perfect. It's too perfect. That is too perfect. I I can't even. I'm dead right now. <laughs> I stepped away from the mic because I knew I was going to laugh a little too loudly. Uh, I've never been so proud of myself. I'm not going to lie. That definitely deserves a round of applause. Everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm the worst. Sorry, not sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. On that note, let's talk about <laughs> the second Blade, which is just called Blade 2. But also, it sounded like you were very excited about this one, which is for good reason, because it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I was excited, and then I was less excited, because mm -hmm. although I should have known that he would do this, it leans way more into the body horror, yes. which, not a surprise, and I don't understand why Guillermo del Toro is is obsessed with weird mouth grossness, but he is, and I just, like, can't, I can't even look at half of those scenes, I just cannot, Um it's too much for me. It's too much. Uh, and 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 also Donnie Yen was in it, but he was not in it nearly enough by my count. And I just I don't. Yeah, the ensemble thing just didn't quite work for me. So I was I was I was let down. I confess. Yeah, I really wanted to like this one a lot more. I love a good creature feature, and I feel mm -hmm. like. Guillermo del Toro is really good at that, but there were some other things lacking in, turn of, in terms of like plot and pacing yeah. um, that 
kind of made me, I could feel my attention flagging a lot. So this one, I probably was like, I wasn't probably, I was 100% like multitasking while I was watching this one because I was just like, there's only so much of, I love a good action film, uh, but there's only so much of an action sequence I can watch, like in terms of how much time it takes up. And it didn't really feel like the actual plot was strong enough to keep me compelled the whole time. So I I do tend to like a little bit more of the body horror and a little bit more of the gross looking creatures and the weird mouth things and seeing Ugh. where they... <laughs> I, know, I know. It's not for everybody. 100% <laughs> not for everybody. Uh, but I'm so used to watching those things. It sort of takes a lot to make me think, oh, wow, this is a totally weird and out there and horrifying creature um but i could i could see how that would turn off so many people and a little bit of that carried over into the next one but mm-hmm. i just found myself a little bit um kind of nonplussed about it a little bit apathetic and so i was also disappointed because there's also a lot this one's pretty star studded in general Uh, Mm -hmm. I felt like they were approaching this as something that had seen some success enough to get some pretty starring people in it, like Ron Perlman's in it, people who are associated with some of Guillermo del Toro's projects. Yeah. And it gets more star-studded as it goes on, but I feel the same way. I was kind of let down. Yeah, I I know. I'm... I generally do like Del Toro's movies, but I, I I agree with you completely on the length of the action sequences. Like I love action movies and I particularly love good fight choreography. And it's not that there wasn't some good fight choreography in this, but every action sequence was like five minutes too long, which is already they were already pretty long and then they got longer. And you're just like, oh man, like 90% of this movie is fight sequences. And I, I'm not under any illusions about what blade is like blade is a horror action movie flick absolutely but the first movie managed to balance it with some actual character development both among the villains and among the heroes and blade 2 felt like like we're supposed to have sympathy for the big bad at some point but it never i never really i never i didn't really buy it and and yeah every action sequence took too long like it's i I love them but it was too much it was too much yeah, and this is one where Blade unites with vampires to fight this virus. So it felt like there was some opportunity there, but oh yeah, it just didn't necessarily happen. And there was like some back and forth between Blade and I forgot uh, what Ron Perlman's character's name was, but there was some back yeah. and forth. Yeah, Reinhardt, like, Reinhardt. Yeah, He's like a right, racist Reinhardt. German yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, me. Yeah, I wasn't into it. I just wasn't into it. It made me it made me sad. Well, then maybe we should just say let's forget about Blade 2 for a <laughs> moment and go on to Blade Trinity, which is the final one. Boy, do I not even know what to think about this one. <laughs> There's so much. And then there is this piece that you dropped in yes about Patton Oswalt talking about that experience because Patton Oswalt is one of the side characters in this movie and yeah. I could not but it was so bonkers I could not believe some of the things that were said about how this production happened and about Wesley Snipes playing character and his methods 
Yeah, I, so I was like, I was Googling a couple of things about Blade Trinity, um, some of which are like not safe for podcasting, mm. some of which are. And so, um, and, and, and so I, I was like, this cast is bananas, right? Like Natasha Leone is in it, Jessica Biel, Ryan Reynolds, uh, Patton Oswalt. Like there's so many people yeah. in this movie. It's just ridiculous. And uh and 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 Chris Christopherson is still in it. And Parker Posey. Parker oh my gosh. Posey. I can't even believe Parker Posey. I was like that opening scene, I was like, wait, wait, is Parker Posey a vampire? Like what's yes! happening? This is she was the best part of that movie as far as I'm concerned. She looked like she was having so much fun. Like I just was delighted with every sequence that she was in. I absolutely agree with you and she was the reason I thought the third one would be my favorite because I remember mm. this was like one of the first times I encountered Parker Posey. Of course, Party Girl was my first time where she played a librarian. Mm. Uh, but this was like one of the earliest times I encountered her work. And I just was like, okay, I'm a Parker Posey fan for life. Yes, she's, she's so, so good. good. Yeah, so she was great. So, but okay, so I fell down this Google yes. hole, and one of the things I came across is an AV Club interview that uh, Patton Oswalt did in 2012 about playing in Blade Trinity. And he says things including that, like, Wesley Snipes only showed up for his close-ups. He only communicated with the director via post-it note. Like, it was just, it just sounds like it was a very tense shoot. And Wesley Snipes has said that some of that is true and some of it is not and has been kind of cagey about what parts were true. And I don't know what to think about it. And I have, I'm not here to like verify or deny, but I was just like, wow, this is this. I mean, it explains a lot. I think if the production was that tense, whoever's fault it was, that explains a lot about how the movie came out. And and I just have to have a moment here to note that I continue not to be on board with Ryan Reynolds. I just am not here for him. And it feels like he's always playing the same role. Like, it's always this, like, smart-ass, wise-mouth, like, kind of a jerk, but he's theoretically good. And so we're supposed to like him. And I don't find it funny. And I, I'm, like, my humor meter is broken when it comes to Ryan Reynolds. And he, it's like, it's Deadpool. It's... You know, I like even his role in the newest um, Hobbs and Shaw movie, Mm -hmm. which is a Fast and Furious spinoff. Like, I just am like, I don't I just don't find him funny. And I think I'm alone or I'm more alone than not on that one. And I, I don't know. What do you think? I wrote in my notes, Ryan Reynolds as Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that was like the first thing I wrote. Oh. And in general, like I agree, like it can get really exhausting when you just see him playing the same role over and over and over again. And you're mm-hmm. like, is there any other layer there? But I right. definitely felt like this one was more of a comedy take because if you've seen, I don't know if anybody out this is not a science fiction or fantasy movie, but Best in Show was like this mockumentary. And Parker Posey. Oh, I love Best in Show. Yes. As Meg Swan, that character reminded me of Parker Posey playing her, like this character in Blade 3. So (laughs) I was like, well, everybody seems like they're in a comedy role. And then Patton Oswalt, of course, there was, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of, of course, there were a lot of 
emotional and gruesome scenes and things like that. But there were definitely a lot more jokes flying around in general. Yes. And I thought it was interesting as well that this one was directed by David Goyer, who was on all of the movies on Blade, the first one, and Blade 2 as a screenwriter. So he Hmm. was really familiar with the work, obviously, but I felt like the directing, like, I don't know what he was thinking. Like, maybe he wanted to have something totally different and out there in terms of making it more of a comic horror type thing Mm. so each of the three films have very different feels and yeah it makes sense like they were a few years apart not that many years apart though like 1998 2002 and 2004 but every director brought something very different to this trilogy and This one seemed like the most unusual, like, in the way that it treated comedy and Blade's role. There was a lot more, like, gratuitous teeth bearing and stuff like that that I thought was unusual. So those are my thoughts about Blade Trinity. It was, it's still, like, a favorite in terms of my love for campiness and... Mm. And cheesiness, but I don't know if it, it definitely does not hold up to the first Blade and the way that plot was played out and everything. So sorry, Blade yeah. Trinity, not my favorite anymore. No, and the plot also sort of like the ultimate plot didn't work. Like I'm all for seeing Blade like have to deal with like law enforcement or whatever, yeah. but this Dracula plot was so, Oof. it was it was so half, it was barely there, really. And it's unclear in the extreme how, like, his unhinging jaw has anything to do with uh, the current vampires or the vampires from, the not vampires from Blade 2. Like, it just, like, it just, I don't, they, I, I have continuity issues, mm-hmm. uh, like, for days. Which, okay, fine, whatever, right? Like, this is not, it's fine, it's fine. But I just found it so frustrating because if they had actually bothered to develop it at all, it could have been interesting, but they didn't. They were just like, here's Dracula. He d- he looks weird. Yeah. The end. <laughs> like, well, okay, cool. Cool story, bro. Like, I was more interested in Pac-Man the dog than I was. Oh, my God. Me. I can't even with those Rottweilers. I cannot. <laughs> just cannot cannot um yeah i don't even know so yeah so i so it sounds like we're on the exact same page and that blade the first is resoundingly the best and i think that in addition to this reboot i would like to see the karen character from the first one come back in a show where she's like the bond-esque style scientist fighting against vampires and creating all sorts of weird gadgets and, you know, cures and things like that, like biotech or something. She didn't do that much tech stuff, but still, I'm making yeah. things up right now. This no, is what I'm, I want to see. with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I want to see in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But overall, I really enjoyed myself. I thought it was so much fun to watch this uh, trilogy all over again, and I'm glad we did it. 
Yeah, I do not regret the $10 I spent renting them online. (laughs) That was was $10 worth the price of admission for sure. Uh, And yeah, and it was a very interesting exercise at the very least. So hopefully you thought so too, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Thank you all for bearing with us as we talked about Blade. But we're all going to be ready for the reboot now. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, I think I think that's where we shall drop our mics. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for listening to our ramblings. You can email us at sffya at bookriot.com with your own Blade thoughts, with suggestions for other topics that we might cover. Whatever you would like to send us would be great. Speaking of, you can also review us on Apple Podcasts, and it helps other people find the show, and we love to see the feedback. You can find us online. Sharifa, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, I-R-L. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.